This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Total Saints podcast. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stannis from Twitter, and I'm joined by regular guest of the show, Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer for the Southern Daily Echo. Adam, before we crack on, how are you keeping after another tedious and boring international break? <laughs> yeah, good. I, I had a nice break. I had a nice break. Yeah, I went I went away and did, uh, I, I do a lot of triathlons and I went off and did an Ironman Uh so I had I, I'm a bit achy now, but I had a I had a good break anyway. It was nice. So I just literally just a few days away, and then and then back to it. So yeah. But then of course the tedium only starts when you get to the stadium, doesn't it? That's what everybody tells me these days. It's, it seems to these days, doesn't it? It's, it sounds uh, so different my my life to yours that you're off doing an Ironman and I'm sort of sat on a couch eating donuts and watching Scotland's World Cup campaign crumble. So we're we're very different, really, aren't we? So uh, there we That's go. what happens when you have kids. <laughs> very, very, very true, very true. Um, we 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 were due to the um, late kickoff in the the Sunday game against Newcastle. Adam was planning to do the um, podcast from St Mary's, which would have given us a different flavour to it but as as we all know having sat in the stand and tried to get internet coverage the uh, the, the wi-fi there has uh, proven um, very uh, unreliable so adam's actually hot-footed at home it's late on sunday night for those that are listening and the game has obviously finished a, a couple of hours ago but adam is in the the comfort of his own home so we didn't want to sort of try the technology adam did we and it, it let us down halfway through really no that's right no it's um yeah i wanted to uh, throw the laptop against the wall a few times today with the st mary's wi-fi which was as a uh, flaky as some of the uh, couple of moments of the defending on the pitch i think today <laughs> so yeah so i'm at home pipe and slippers etc you know robe you can you can pick cravat you can picture the scene now can't yeah, you yeah it's quite uncomfortable actually quite an uncomfortable <laughs> scene but there we go so uh, there we go let's let's move on so um look for, for those of you that um listen to the podcast regularly you, you'll know the format we tend to talk about the game that's just happened we tend to look ahead to the game that's coming up so we're going to reflect on the newcastle game and also look ahead to next weekend's tough looking fixture with tony punis's west brom side so let's crack on with episode 10 of the total saints podcast Adam, 
2-0 with Newcastle then, a game of ups and downs. As a fan, I find myself hard to know how to feel after that. I, I feel probably more deflated than uh, positive, but I guess at least we got something out of the game. But what, what did you sort of feel the uh, sort of overriding view was from within the media circle and within the stadium at the end of the game? Um, it's difficult because I think there was because when by by the very nature of the fact that you've come from behind twice to get get something, it feels somewhat uplifting. It's then when you look at actually the result on paper and the context of of the result, who they were playing, where they were playing, the fact that they needed points, that actually th- this is a disappointing result. There's no getting away from it. The two all home draw against uh, Newcastle, especially at this exact moment in the season is a is a pretty disappointing result it was just the way it came about kind of gives you a slight feeling of momentum which you would hope that maybe they could take forward um different problems today which was interesting to see and it was very interesting for me that uh on friday when i was speaking to uh pellegrino before the game inevitably we were asking the uh, broken record question about the lack of goals. And he actually said that, in effect, or words to the effect of, he was a bit more concerned about other areas of the team than the goal scoring. But even though that was obviously the sort of headline-grabbing issue of the day slash year. Um, and sure enough, today, I think we, we saw that. They did score two goals at home against a mid-table team, and it wasn't enough to win. And that, that was worrying. And also... I guess uh, what what was a bit deflating was when when they equalised the first time, you thought, right, here we go. This is really a chance to crack on. Obviously, they conceded straight away. Then they equalised the second time. And you think, OK, here's a chance to really crack on. And it just didn't happen. And come the end of the game, that, that real feeling of momentum was lost because in, the, in those final minutes, it felt more like Newcastle would, would win it than Southampton, if anything. So... Um, my overriding emotion was there were some positives to take from it and, and there's some small signs of uh, some progress but it's a, it is, there's no getting away from it, it's another poor result and uh, at, a, at quite a crucial time and there are still a number of uh, fairly significant problems that need to be sorted out very quickly First things first, then, before we go on to talk about some of the uh, the, the, the questions that have arisen and ongoing, um, I, I, I thought after our comments last time about the predictions, Adam, bearing in mind I got it right pretty much today that we'd focus on that a little bit to start off with. So oh, um, right. here we go. So, um, yeah, so I think obviously that's one point to me because I did say positively, as you remember, that it would be one or I don't want to be predicting us to draw too many times at home, put it that way. I'd much rather be uh, predicting a, a win. But there we go. In terms of predictions that we're starting now, because I'm, I'm in the lead, it's one nil to me. So that's good. Other positives, in inverted commas, Mario Lamino. I, I don't want us to speak for ages on him because I think we've covered him off pretty much every week since he started signing for Saints. But obviously he was player, player of the month for September. Class above anything I thought really out, out, out there on the, the, the rest of the Saints team today. So certainly just seemed to add that drive and determination that quite a few other players were lacking. Yeah, without doubt. Uh, well, firstly, congratulations on your great your great victory in the Thank predictions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep, um, that's, uh, you must be very, very proud. It means a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and on Lamina, no, I completely agree. He, he was probably the arguably the best player on the pitch, wasn't he? He was uh, excellent. Again, he looks uh, a really great buy. But I guess it just goes to underline again that, that point that I made right at the beginning of, I think, episode one when we were discussing the ins and outs of the transfer market. But when you buy in that kind of bracket the Saints are now purchasing in, let's say, 10 to 20 million in that bracket, 
you are not buying guaranteed quality at that price. And so some of those signings are going to come off. Mario Lamina has. Some of those signings are not going to come off. And, and that's just the way it is. And he has come off. But obviously the fact that the, the Saints had relied on for a period of time having a virtually 100% hit rate in their uh, in their transfer signings after they'd sold players. And now that, that hit rate is becoming what you would think was probably more normal for most clubs. Um, is perhaps a little bit of the underlying issue that they've got at the moment. Uh, but with Lamina, there's no doubt that they've got an absolute uh, belter of a signing there. Two goals for, for Gabbiadini, two goals for Saints. Ho- hopefully um, now acting as a bit of a confidence booster for, for him personally. I mean, the, the, the first one was obviously a, a really typical sort of finish of him. You, you know, created a goal out of nothing there. The penalty, we've had a, a few penalty issues over the last sort of 12, 18 months, but he took that one with a, a plon. So hopefully that's going to give him now a bit of a boost and, and maybe a run in the side as well. Well, I mean, the w- one thing you can say is with Gabbiadini that we know is that he's very streaky. I mean, he scores in bursts and then he doesn't score for ages. That has been the pattern of his career. Um, and obviously, last se- uh, well, last uh, season, yeah, when he came in, he he got the uh, he got that great run going, including the the double at Wembley, which we all remember. And then, of course, c- couldn't score for the rest of the season after that great run. This season, obviously, got one against West Ham, but it's been kind of more of the same, struggling a little bit. Uh, and then, obviously just relegated to the subs bench the last few matches and we, we have discussed on here actually that if he was going to play why not give him a go as a as sort of a number 10 in the 4-2-3-1 which is pretty much what uh Pellegrino did for Newcastle and I thought it, it actually worked uh okay I thought it worked fairly well so hopefully he will stick by that I'm pretty sure that he probably will stick with that because that was obviously a positive that, that came out of the game and I'm sure he'll he'll stick with him in the team because Gabby Adini, confident, will score some goals out of nothing. A lot of the goals that he has scored for Saints, they've not been converting great chances. They have been goals that he's kind of pulled out of a hat from, from acute angles and from difficult, uh, unpromising positions. So I think there's probably every chance that he, that he could get on a little bit of a run again. And that's exactly what Saints need. As we know, they need goals uh, and a lot more of them. Fingers crossed, absolutely. Um, I was struggling a bit when I was making my positive list here, so we, we've moved, we've jumped straight on to three positive substitutions. So I put credit to Pellegrino. I, I thought all three of his subs were positive in terms of trying to show some attempt to get something positive from the game. You know, again, it would obviously come back to maybe discussing why certain players weren't in the starting lineup. But I, I know he gets a lot of grief, but I, I thought Buffel particularly, yeah, he tried a few flicks that didn't come off, but he, he seemed to give the team a bit of a lift out in that position. I, I actually thought, personally, that he did quite well when he came on. Yeah, I thought he did all right. Yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, it was OK, wasn't it? It wasn't match-changing contribution. but It was, it was better than Redmond, anyway. Yeah, he probably. I mean, Redmond didn't didn't play particularly well. Um, so I mean, yeah, that that is the case. But obviously, as well, you have to somewhat take into account. I know he can only play in the circumstances he's handed, but obviously, he was in a, coming into a game where Saints were uh, chasing the game and where Newcastle were were sitting deep. So he was going to have a lot of the ball. So um, so I kind of looked more at well, what what was the end product, and there, there was a, there was a little bit there, but not anything. Uh, especially um, attention-grabbing, I didn't think. I thought he did all right, but but probably I wouldn't go a lot stronger than that. Um, Agreed. Yeah, so 
I just think from from Saints' point of view, again, uh, we, we it's this same old uh, problem of breaking down teams that are going to sit deep at home. But now they seem to have coupled that with the fact that they're obviously the last few games when they played teams like that, they've also conceded some soft goals, which the one thing we can say about last season is at least uh, when they weren't scoring goals, they were very rarely conceding them either. I mean, it did make things obviously somewhat dull, but uh, probably a better base to build from than the fact that they, they now look uh, collectively, I'm not saying they're now individuals or an individual unit of the team, but collectively they're not obviously defending all that well. They're conceding some soft goals. Just look at the last two games, conceding from set pieces, uh, conceding pretty soft goals when you're not, not making the right challenges in around the uh, penalty area, um, not making good decisions in those, in those areas, giving the ball away cheaply. Um, you know, it's pretty basic stuff, I would think, really. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess just to end our positives then, I, I think as you said there, I mean, fighting back in inverted commas twice to, to get something from the game, I guess at least they got a point. I think a defeat would have been really, really hard to take in terms of what that, that would have messaged that would have sent to the team, to the manager, to the fans. So I guess just to end this positive section, at least they got something from the game, eh? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that um, without wishing to pull the positive into a negative, I just think that this has this now has to be the point at which they build something from this. You can't have you can't have another full storm. I think of oh well, that was you know there were some positives there, great, and then go into the next game and it sort of falls flat again. They really need to make this this the launching pad. I, I really felt that in this period of four games, in my mind, completely season defining. Uh, from Saints' point of view, this this period of four before the next international break, um, they probably, if they were serious about making a real fist of having a go for seventh and really having a good season, given the fixtures that they've had so far this season, the points they accumulated up to this point, and given the fixtures they've got after the next international break, you probably were looking at needing ten points, in my view, to really give yourself a great chance to to really push on. Um, which that would now mean, if you if you did take that as a tally, that they've got to win the next three in a row, and that is going to be really really tough. So they've given themselves um, certainly a, a tough task if that's if that's kind of what they are aiming for. But there is something there to at least give some feeling of positivity. I think. Moving on to the constructive um, section of the pod, I guess rather than calling it negative, but constructive. Um, obviously, appreciate you said. A few players away on international duty but essentially Pellegrino this is essentially he's had two weeks to think about all of the challenges ups and downs he's had in the first seven games of the season you look at that first 45 minutes and it was it was awful I mean there was no energy I, I, I mentioned to someone earlier there was no chemistry it was almost like the players had never played together but before in terms of justifying that after two weeks of, of sort of really trying to get your head around how you're going to send out your team I mean it didn't it was it wasn't a positive sign for the future really was it well, I mean, he obviously has had the difficulty that he's not had that many players there to work with. And obviously, when they come back from international duty, they're all in a different state of mind and a different state of physical fitness. And without that time to really prepare, it's very hard to do things differently. He has been contemplating the formation change, as we've mentioned before. He obviously thought about it before Stoke, decided against it. He's had to think about it the last couple of weeks, but given the lack of players he's had at his disposal to work with didn't really feel it was a viable option to, to just sort of fling them out there 
and certainly that that might I suppose have smacked somewhat of desperation um, so he's kind of stuck with it and it sort of worked to a degree even though he didn't get the result he wanted so I guess he probably will stick with it but yeah I mean it's it's concerned there are there are some concerning signs there's no doubt about it um, I think uh, if as long as there's progress people will and it's obvious that there's progress being made. People will stick with it, even if the results aren't exactly what you want, even if some of the performances aren't what you want. I think the, pro- the problem at the moment is people are struggling to see much progress. It still feels like very much the same as last year. And while uh, we all have in our heads the, the back end of last season, which obviously was, was pretty pretty dull and pretty boring, we shouldn't forget that actually last season, the, the first half of last season, wasn't really all that bad and Saints did still accumulate enough points to finish eighth and get to a cup final so it, given the teams they've played this season there is an argument to be made that if anything they might have gone slightly backwards uh, rather you know, from from uh, a manager which people were desperate to try and hound out uh, not that long ago um, so I, I think Pellegrino's got an awful lot to get his head around but uh, in that BBC interview on the, on TV on the Premier League show midweek, obviously Pellegrino spoke about at this point in time it's about building an identity for the team, and that's that's what he's working on, that's what he wants, which I think is an admirable uh, thing to do, and and great. I think I kind of agree that is the right thing to do. Problem is I don't see the identity myself. I can't I can't quite work it out. Uh, I can't quite work out what they're trying to do some of the time, what their identity is as a team. You could very much you knew the identity of Pochettino's uh, Saints. You knew the identity of Ronald Koeman's Saints. You even knew the identity of Claude Puel's Saints. Even though people didn't like it, you knew what they were going to do with this team. At the moment, I'm just not... He spoke about the identity. I think it's that he's on the right track with that. I just don't personally know what it is. Now, the players may completely understand it, but at this point in time, it's hard to see it from the sidelines watching them play, that, that they really do understand exactly what they're trying to do and if they do well maybe they're not that's not the right style because they don't seem to be able to execute it it's interesting i dug out a quote from when maurizio was appointed as saints manager by les reed on the website and because it was it was something that stuck with me when i was watching that first half today was that um it was something we weren't doing and um les reed said on um Pellegrino's arrival Maurizio believes with the quality we have we can play exciting attacking football taking the game to our opponents by playing a high intensity game when you look at that today the first 60 seconds of the the game kind of summed up that first half for me because Van Dijk got it Adam he drilled it probably about 60 yards across to Tadic right over in the far corner Tadic was on his right foot admittedly but instead of crossing it in like he could have done he cut it back um, to Cedric. Cedric then had a man on him turned, played it all the way back to the halfway line and we ended up back where we started. When you talk about the identity, it's, it's apparent to me that exciting attacking football, I mean the, as you say, the, the team of Koeman or whatever would have whipped that into the box and admittedly we had a, a Pal or a Lambert in there and such like but they, they, they just don't seem to know what they're trying to do and all the players' strengths that we've had over the last previous years, so Tadic getting the ball into the box etc etc, they just don't seem to have the confidence to do that. No, I think that's, to be honest, I don't see how you could argue with that assessment. I think that's very fair. This is exactly the problem, this lack of identity. How do 
Southampton play. You know how some teams play. Most teams, you know, you could define how they play, couldn't you, if you were asked. I couldn't really define how Southampton play right now. And I, I think that's part of the problem. And as I said, even with Claude Puel's team last year, I know it wasn't popular, but you knew what he was trying to do. You could see what they would, the, what their game plan was, even though people didn't like it. As Whereas this year, I, I'm not convinced that I fully understand. And it, it may be, it may be that Pellegrino is, does feel that he's making progress with this and, and it is baby steps, but it is very difficult. And he might run into the same problem as Claude, I feel, I fear that he hasn't really yet, um, explained what this identity actually is. Uh, so then if you, if you don't really explain it, which Claude couldn't really explain what he was trying to do last year either, which was, which was part of the problem, then the only thing people can actually judge on is what they see on the pitch. They can't think, okay, well, I can hear the manager speaking about this and, and this way, and I can kind of see where it's going, and I like what he's saying, so we sort of stick with it. But then if you're only judging what's on the pitch, and then what's on the pitch is not the finished product, it's not going that well, then people get very agitated very quickly because they, they don't really understand what's going on. I think that... Pellegrino needs to go a little bit careful that he doesn't fall into that trap at the moment because I think that's where Saints are, are heading as it stands at the moment. So he, I feel like he needs to go, he needs to go a little bit careful with that and make sure that he's got one or the other, either a very clear public explanation as to as to what what they're trying to do. Are they trying to play high pressing attacking football? Is that what he's sending them out to do? Is that what they're training on all week? Is that what they're doing? Because if so, and then that's what they're producing then actually people will come to the conclusion, well, he's at, the players just aren't able to do it. He's obviously telling them to do it, and they're not able to do it. If it's something else, then then what is it? Um, I agree. I mean, there's there's nothing more frustrating, is there, than, than hearing a lot of talk about how Southampton control the game. Oh, we control this game, we control that game. Uh, what, you've had 70% possession? Well, that's lovely. 70% possession, most of it on the halfway line. Uh, going backwards and forwards between Yoshida and Van Dijk, um, that, that's not going to scare anybody, is it? And that's that's the problem, really. And it is difficult. Look, there's, there is no easy way to break teams down that are coming and putting a lot of men behind the ball. It's re that is really, really difficult. Uh, and it's a problem that Saints have had to come to terms with in the last few years. Different managers have come up with solutions, though, that, that have uh, paid a certain amount of dividends. And, and Pellegrino needs to come up with that now because make no mistake, he, he's got up next in West Brom and then the next home game in Burnley. Two teams that are going to have seen what's, the way Saints are playing and are going to come with, with exactly that in mind. They are going to be incredibly difficult to break down, these two teams. Uh, so Southampton, they've got to find something different. It can't just be going out and more of the same, even though you have to appreciate that it is difficult to find that different little X factor. Um, and the reason the top six can do it with such regularity is because they've got such fantastic players because they've spent so much money, which is, is not the market that Southampton are in. I thought um, it was interesting that you, you mentioned about the halfway line, Yoshida, because I, I went to make a cup of tea at half-time, which is obviously the traditional thing to do in a football match, and uh, I found myself, while I was, I was stood there waiting for the kettle to boil, thinking that I imagined the groundsman at St Mary's was probably repainting the halfway line because we'd taken all, <laughs> of, the, taken all of the paint off of it you know, during, that, during that first half. So the, the other thing that was um, noticeable to me, Adam, and it's, it's not something I've seen actually in the other um, games that I've watched this season, was the gap between 
um, our midfield and the strikers. And I'm not sure if it was because he had changed to sort of play in two attackers and therefore Gabbiadini and Long were both getting pulled forward a bit more. But when we were playing around with the, the ball, we're in aimlessly on the halfway line. There must have been, I think, at times a sort of 30-yard gap between Lamina and Romeo up to um, Long and Gabbiadini. And Shelby and Hayden were just sitting in there totally in control. There was no way that we were going to get through them. So I think he, he's obviously now got probably... And I know Adam Blackmore said this has kind of left us with more questions than answers. Is you know if he is now going to start playing two strikers or, or play them in the hole or whatever, that they need to be involved because you can't bridge that sort of gap if you're trying to get a ball up to the top four and they're 30 yards ahead of you and there's three or four blue shirts as it was today in the way. Well, I think part of the problem for this stems back to the fact that um, something that we've hit upon, touched upon the last few weeks actually, is that as much as we have praised Lamina and he has done very well, the Lamina Romeo access partnership, I don't think actually has done that great. Uh, it, Lamina's uh, excellent start and presence does seem to have taken something away from Romeo's game. He has had one or two really good games and, and he, he has tried to get forward a bit more, which I think is, uh, is quite admirable. But the actual partnership, you've got two defensive, uh, really defensive midfielders in essence, that, though they can both get forward, that's, that's kind of their, their bread and butter. Um, and then, as you rightly say, then if that, they are the central line, so you've got two centre-halves, two anchoring midfielders, and then you've kind of got the two up front. But both of the two up front are fairly similar. They're both players who want to try and make runs and get in behind. They're not they're not going to drop deep and they're not really going to be the link-up guys and the hold the, the, hold the ball up type guys. They both want to play on the shoulder and get in behind. So there's a bit of a missing link there, which I think is today why... Uh, Pellegrino made the change and he took Romeo off quite early on and put Stephen Davis in there because obviously Stephen Davis can be that link because he, he is naturally a more attacking player and I thought that that did actually work a bit better um, but that, that's interesting as well of course because if if that is the way it goes then that means that you're either going to end up sacrificing last year's uh, clear winner of player of the season um, and an ex exceptional uh, player at that or this year's, you know, pretty new boy who's doing a who's flavour of the month at the moment. Um, so yeah, there, as Adam rightly said, there there are more questions than answers, I think, at the moment. But Pellegrino has to get this formula right. He's got a lot of uh, time to think about it because they're not in midweek competition. There's plenty of time between games to work on things. Um, I appreciate he's had players away for international duty, but this. Uh, there comes a point, and I think we've reached it now, where we have to say this is this is his team now. And I don't uh, I don't like this talk of uh, somebody asked me the other day, uh, um, oh, if these games go badly, do you think you know Pe is Pellegrino going to get sacked? Uh, well, I still feel it's far too early to judge it, judge him in that kind of context. But I think it is fair when you get towards ten games, which were, were, were nine games in total this season including the League Cup match, uh, eight in the league. When, when we get a couple more games down the road, this, this, is, this has got to be his team. It might not have been all the players that he would handpick to be there, but ultimately this is, this is his side now. He's had a bit of time with them. He's got to know them. He's got to have a look at them. And, and so he's really got to make this work. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I think it's foolish to, to really still be questioning whether it's, it's right or wrong to, to be sacking him after seven, eight games. But I think ultimately the... 
one thing we know about football is you don't get time in football so I think ultimately the pressure is going to build uh, we need results to obviously keep positive and as you say sort of build on from here I, I think as I say going back to my earlier comment about the chemistry is that the, the other thing that's noticeable is that there's not, not only is there a lack of chemistry on the pitch now but there seems to be a lack of chemistry between the pitch and the stands you know the fans at the end where uh, certainly there was a, a couple of all when the Saints and st- such like but the, the, you know for large periods of the, the game against Newcastle there was just no atmosphere whatsoever and I'm, I'm not blaming fans for that because they're as we've said many times they're to be entertained but that's obviously a worry that's starting to creep in as, as well, Adam, isn't it? That sort of lack of support that the fans are showing the players because if they seem to not be trying, then whether they are trying or not, then fans aren't going to get behind them. They're quick to groan and moan and that sort of thing. So I think that's just that's sort of this elephant in the room that's continually building. Yeah, but I think this just go, all goes back to a, a much deeper problem. But I, I don't want to bang on about this because I, I've mentioned it two or three times already. And I think this is the overarching problem at Southampton Football Club at the moment is this identity crisis that I feel the club has got at the moment. Uh, it's it's within the club, but it's also without outside of the club as well, um, including the supporters uh, as well of, of of trying to find their place in the world to a certain extent. When you've had these year upon year upon year of success after success after success, which they have, let's be honest, this even last year deemed not successful was eighth in the Premier League and a, and a much awaited uh, cup final at Wembley. It was a success. Um, it has just been year after year of success, but without considerable investment that doesn't appear to be on the horizon, Saints have hit the glass ceiling. And once you've hit the glass ceiling, there's only two things that can happen. You stand still, which seems really boring, or you go backwards. And those are literally the only two things that can happen, really, if you can't break that glass ceiling, which is, let's be honest, in the Premier League, we're talking about the top six and definitely the top four, which is nigh on impossible. Not impossible, but virtually impossible for a club like Saints and probably the very, very vast majority of other clubs to uh, to be able to do that and certainly to be able to move and evolve to a place where you can do that on a regular basis and not just a one-off uh, out-of-this-world season like Leicester had uh, when they won the title. And that that is a deeper problem, I think, and I think that's part of the problem for the supporters. This You remember back, like I do, probably well enough to the days of the Dell in the 90s and it was back to the wall it's just us against the world and trying to finish fourth bottom what you know it's amazing and then uh in the new era of the premier league when things got a bit brighter they was got to the cup final their best place premier league finish then obviously it all fell apart as we know and then the huge rise and all the success and now there's this kind of well, where are saints well, who are saints I, i'm i'm not sure that I can adequately answer that question. But I, I think that this is a much more deep-seated problem because I don't think a lot of fans can either. What What is success for Southampton Football Club? Define success for Southampton Football Club now, 2017, 2018, whatever. I, I think it's hard to define. And if by success we're talking real terms, if you're just being really dispassionate, if you're a total outsider and you said solid mid-table, Solid mid-table, you know, maybe having a little look at sort of maybe outside fringy to get a European place if there's a roll down via the cups. But if not, solid mid-table. That's probably what the outside world would say. And the outside world thought that Southampton had an above average season last year. 
and that wasn't good enough. It's very difficult. What is good enough now? I, I, I'm not sure I can answer that question. I can tell you what I think is good enough um, when you put the neutral hat on. But from the Saints fans' point of view, I don't know quite what they feel like. They, what are they getting behind? Other than it's just the team. It's their team. What What is there? This doesn't. I don't know that the players or the fans have... Well, this is our target. This is where we want to get to. This is what we're fighting for. We're fighting for 40 points. We're fighting for fourth bottom. We're fighting for seventh in Europe. That's in our sights. We're going to do it this year. We're fighting, yeah, whatever it may be. I don't know. I, I think there's a. I think this identity problem and Saints trying to find a natural place in the world, now this non-stop upward roller coaster has inevitably plateaued. Um, I think that's the, that's the great difficulty. I mean, you're... You are a supporter, Ben. You know better than me, but that's that's just the way I see it from from my position. Two other things I was going to just cover off: Fraser Forster. We've we've spoken about him the last few weeks in terms of playing well and a bit more confidence and such like. Um, unfortunately, he was back to looking like a competition winner today. First half, obviously, he had his slow clearance that uh, Perez closed down. The second goal didn't push it away. Then got beaten at his near post. He then pretty much lost all of his confidence there was balls coming in left right and centre into the area that he just wasn't coming for and going over his head and such like so I mean he's he's always looked like one of those goalkeepers that is really very black and white in his, his confidence he's either has a good day at the office or a bad day office but for all the steps forward he's taken out and that was another step backwards today unfortunately yeah I mean it, it was a shame because uh, I thought the last couple of games he's played really well and he's he's looked to have his confidence back again and a bit of belief and you could see him sort of almost growing in stature in in the penalty area the last few games and then uh yeah to, to today was was not good was it I mean the the first goal I I thought well I, I would have expected him to have recovered from the first dive uh, a, a quicker a bit quicker than that whether he could have recovered quick enough to get back across I don't know but I would have expected him to have got up and made a better fist of it the second goal yeah I I, I, I tend to agree maybe he could have done a bit more but I, I do feel a little bit sorry for him in kind of he's getting he's obviously in a difficult position at the moment he's being exposed a lot more at the moment um, and, and it isn't an easy position to be in when you're being exposed there's uh, they how did Perez get to that position there was two or three players massively at fault for allowing him to get to that position and then when the first shot was saved where where was any Saints defender anywhere near Perez trying to get in with the follow-up uh, it was it was just him versus Forster and then and then a good finish so I, I felt a little bit of sympathy with him but certainly for that second goal actually because I don't I think that, that it's convenient to make him a bit of a scapegoat um, but nonetheless, it, it was not a, a, a great performance from him, um, and you worry that his confidence will will take another dent. But he needs he needs to keep going. They need to find a way to boost his confidence. Ultimately, he's going to be playing. There isn't there isn't uh, the club don't really have a, a a viable backup option that they they think that they'll throw in at any point. So. He, he's got to keep going and he's got to keep his chin up and, and people need to try and stay behind him as best they can. And Because when the crowd are on your back, when you uh, when you feel like you're under that spotlight, well, that's not going to help anybody. Why, why don't you think that McCarthy is an option? I'm not saying that Forster should be dropped by any stretch of the imagination, but Alex McCarthy had quite a decent record of, of playing in the Premier League before he came to Saints. Why, why do you think there is so much distance between him and Forster in terms of selection? I think that they've made a very clear decision that Fraser Forster is their number one. 
uh, goalkeeper. Um, to drop a number one goalkeeper at any point is a huge, huge decision. Um, and and the, the club are very clear from from uh, from everything I know that Forster is the number one. I think it would take a fairly uh, dramatic uh, change of events for Forster to suddenly not be playing. I know, um, without wishing to give too much away, there was talk of it happening uh, behind the scenes at the back end of last season. Um, and uh, I won't go into everything about it, but it obviously didn't happen. And I think that shows that the club clearly see Forster uh, as their number one. And I, I just don't, I think McCarthy is is there, frankly, as the backup, if, if he's unable to play. I don't think he really, at this point in time, is genuine competition, if you like. I think he is, he is there as a backup option. So with that in mind, the way I see it is that is that Forster is is going to be there unless uh, something dramatic happens. I could be wrong; it's happened before, but that's just my sense of it. The last thing was just the referee. I don't want to make excuses by any stretch of the imagination because I think there was enough about Saints that was uh, uh, of concern and for them to work on. But in terms of Kevin Friend, then Adam, he's not someone I've really ever rated. I, I still remember that first um, Brendan Rodgers game I think it was after Lovren had joined Liverpool when um, Joe Allen hacked um, I can't remember who it was actually hacked someone in the, uh, the 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 area from behind and he somehow managed to not give a penalty and we went on to lose the game but he's not a referee that I've particularly fond of but what what did you make of his performance because I think everyone was adamant that uh, certainly Yedlin should have got a second yellow and possibly Hayden as well yeah, well, I don't think he had a great game either, to be honest. I think, I suppose Saints probably would feel they got the rough end of the wedge because uh, Yedlin, I certainly thought, was incredibly fortunate to stay on the pitch. Um, that was very lenient to to not give him a second yellow. But in the context of the whole game, I thought he was fairly poor for both teams. For the majority, I think he got an awful lot wrong, um, just, just in general. So, yeah, I mean... That's the thing with referees, so you just have to take it, don't you? That's that's part of the game. I always say that to people. It's part of um, part of football, and as frustrating as it can be sometimes, actually, that's one of the things that we do all love about it. That it gives us something to talk about. It gives everybody somebody to shout at and get their frustrations out. So, um, yeah, I don't think he had a great game for for either team, but Saints probably were probably were unfortunate. But maybe. I think there's one or two instances that maybe they have got a couple of decisions uh, this year as well. So um, probably evens out in the end. I guess to wrap up Newcastle, thinking about it as a Saints fan, for me, you know, they're they're a club that's had a wretched record at Saints and actually a pretty poor away record under even Rafa Benitez in general. So I guess whilst it was a point, it's for, for me it was a must-win game. Obviously, it's not the end of the world, but I think it was something that could have set some momentum. And for me, for large parts of that game, we we looked second best. So lots to work on. I'm I'm worried that Pellegrino possibly thinks there's more. Uh, things to concern about the scoring goals but at least we've got a couple of those so let's move on and talk about West Brom and hopefully something a bit more positive next weekend So West Brom then Adam started well tailed off a bit the last few weeks um, always a hard fixture I think as you mentioned earlier so what, what do you expect from them turning up at St Mary's next week? I think it's relatively predictable, <laughs> actually, what, what West Brom will bring. Uh, they will be incredibly well organised, very, very disciplined. They'll stick to their shape uh, like glue 
and uh, they will make themselves very hard to break down. They'll put a lot of men behind the ball, 10 men behind the ball. They will offer Saints uh, a lot of possession, I'm sure. They'll offer him a lot of the ball uh, in a- areas that we, uh, around that centre spot, uh, as you mentioned, the bit of the pitch is slowly getting worn out, I think. Um, and they will say to Saints, come and break us down, and then and then rely on the fact that they might well get a counter-attack. They obviously have a good counter-attacking ability. That's how they get points. Um, they're good from set pieces. Uh, they're very well drilled, and it will be all on Saints to try and get the first goal, um, at, at which might draw them out later in the match, and then and then that would suit Saints down to the ground. But you know what you're going to come up against. There's there's no surprises here with this one. There's no nobody's going to be surprised by what they're going to do. They're not going to turn up and play as some sort of expansive attacking game. West Brom It's just not going to happen. So you know exactly the challenge that Saints are in for. Uh, it might well be, in truth, another fairly tedious game if Saints don't get an early goal um, because he's just going to be them trying to knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door and create that chance uh, and get that goal out of somewhere. But um, West Brom are very, very good at what they do. and You can't argue with that. They've got great results um, for, for what they do. So, no, no, I don't expect anything other than the fairly obvious. <laughs> I dread to think what that is, to be honest, but there we go. Um, <laughs> the Wi-Fi. <laughs> all right, yeah. Um, Jay Rodriguez as well, just before we go on to prediction, I, I just wanted to talk about him, Adam. We've not really had a chance to talk about him when uh, or, or since he's left Saints. Obviously a great lad, someone that was in really fine form before he had that truly dreadful accident and injury at Manchester City. Obviously a great lad as well. I know someone that Saints fans were very fond of in terms of lots of photos, autographs, always smiling, really nice lad. I I guess it was a shame it never worked out for him at Saints after the injury or injuries that he had. But good good to see him making a, a positive start to his career at West Brom. Yeah, I think everybody's pleased for him, aren't they? I mean, he was a nice lad. He obviously tried his heart out for Saints and... Uh... Yeah, a, a very, very promising career cut down in its prime, really, uh, with a with a horrible knee injury and then um, a series of, of really, well, just bad luck. Can't describe it any other way, really, with the, the subsequent problems um, from that initial knee surgery that he had, just rank bad luck. Um, and then stop start from there. And, and it was the right time for him to move on. I think everybody appreciated that. Uh, if anything, I think maybe it would have been better for all parties had he gone a little bit earlier, as I believe he wanted to. Um, but but at that point, Saints, I don't think, felt they were in a position. Uh, they were struggling for goals um, at the beginning of last season, if you remember. And then he came off the bench in that game against Sunderland, I believe. And he sort of, sort of uh, scored. And then it was like, well, we can't really let him go because if we let him go and then he scores goals somewhere else and we're not scoring goals then that's going to look really bad um so he ended up staying and then really not playing and, and sort of stagnating again uh which i don't think was great uh, really for either party i think that was a that was a shame that that happened in that way but um yeah good luck to the guy i mean he's i, I don't think he's ever going to be the same player that we remember from those those great uh, couple of years um, when he was sort of picking the ball up deep, running at defenders and, and terrorising them and scoring goals. Uh, the inevitability of of um, an ACL injury, an ACL reconstruction, is that um, you're not going to be 
the same player if you were a player who relied very much on quick skill, trickery, uh, quick turns of pace, quick changes of direction. It's just not really possible with anything to rebuild yourself to be that player again. But if you're a good player, if you're a good footballer, you can reinvent yourself and you can offer something different. And I think that's what uh, Jay is attempting to do now. And that's what Tony Pulis has tried to tried to offer him is to do something a bit different and find a new place and a new role in the team. And I think it was hard for him at Saints to do that because when there's that weight of expectation on you, because people remember what you were and how great you were, people want to, you to come back and play like that again. But re- realistically, that's not physically possible was not physically possible for him anymore uh and so that that made things very difficult as whereas a fresh start um and a manager who goes right this is from the beginning this is what we're going to do we're not going to have you playing that way we're going to do something a bit different offers him the opportunity to uh reinvent himself and take his career forward and i i don't think you're uh, i'm sure saints fans don't want him to score next weekend unless uh it's in in vain in a losing battle but i'm sure there's not a Saints fan out there that doesn't wish him the very best and, and uh, that hopes that he he does rebuild his career and he has a great few years. Absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. As you say, I know he was, um, I think, close to, to joining Hull City last summer and then the, the goal against Sunderland um, sort of gave him a bit of a second respite with Saints. But yeah, good to see him in the Premier League and obviously scoring goals, hopefully not next week and, unless uh, it is in that form that you mentioned. So in terms of prediction then, Adam, for next week, in, in, in terms of playing staff, line-up, etc., and, and your score, is there anything you change, and what, what do you think the score will be? I don't foresee a change. I think that the, um, the Pellegrino probably will stick with this now. Uh, I, I had been thinking that he might go three at the back, but I can't really see the argument for doing that at home at this point in time uh, against a team who you know are going to be very defensive. If anything, you want to push more players forward. Uh, I don't necessarily think that just pushing on wing backs and having three centre halves is a sat back probably marking one player at best is really a very sensible move so I suspect he'll stick with with largely the same I wonder whether he 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 obviously thinks that Bukau's done well the last couple of games when he's come on so I wonder whether he might give him a go maybe in place of Redmond who's obviously struggling for form a little bit at the moment uh, other than that, I, I don't really foresee he's likely to make any other changes. He was obviously pleased with the way Gabbiadini long axis was progressing today. Um, there is that question mark over Romeo Lamina, but I, I don't really see him changing that from the start. That's a change-up option maybe for him. Uh, so, yeah, maybe Bufal for Redmond, he might give a go. But other than that, I think it will be fairly similar. And your score? Oh, <laughs> the pressure's on now. Um, I I I will go. I am not going to go for a Saints win this week. Actually, I am going to go one all. Interesting. Okay, that's that's going to look quite positive in a minute. I promise you. Um... Oh, is it really? <laughs> I thought because let's be honest. If we're talking this time next week and Saints have drawn one all, haven't drawn two all with Newcastle, I think there's going to be some pretty unhappy people, and we're going to be talking. Uh, about some fairly negative things, I, I imagine, unless the game goes in a very odd direction. Mm. So I thought that was quite a negative <laughs> prediction, but just one that I felt that was probably uh, somewhat realistic. Mm. Well, there we go. I mean, I think team-wise for me, I I, I think I would give Bufala a chance instead of Redmond. For me, he's not done enough, Redmond. I don't think I... 
appreciate to give him his credit. He set up the first goal with that long pass. Admittedly, I think it was the only forward pass I saw him make against Newcastle, but he did set up the first goal through that. But I would give Bufal a start instead of um, him. The only other change I'm thinking of is, is just in terms of Tadic. Again, he, he's so frustrating at the moment, but probably, for me, I think Saints are a much better team when Steve Davis is in the side. So I would probably put Davis in for Tadic and play him over on the right. He can play there, I think. Keep Long and Gabbiadini. So front four of um, Buffel, Long, Gabbiadini and Davis. Prediction-wise, though, Adam, I, I do think West Brom are going to be organised. I think they're always a tough nut to, to crack. I think they've got the ability to score goals. They've got some decent players. Unfortunately, based on where we are at the moment, looking at us playing, I, I just don't see us getting anything from the game at the moment. So I've actually gone West Brom to win 2-1, unfortunately. Oh, wow, that is going to be a I'd rather bad be honest. Evening, I'd rather it? be honest. I mean, I know this is a Saints podcast, but I think people respect that we try to be as honest as we can be, both in our comments and such. Like, so I'd love to sit here and say Saints are going to win 4-0 every week, but I think I don't, I don't want to sound negative. I just try to be realistic. And I, I think they're going to, a bit like Burnley will do, I think they'll be up for the fight. They're going to out-battle us. I think we just look very fragile across the pitch. I think, as you said, the manager clearly realises there's a number of different things that he's got to look at. So I think they're just going to, probably from West Brom's point of view, catch us at a good time. Oh, heck. Next week's going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> that oh, dear. And as we know, as you pointed out already, you are the king of predictions. So, you know, that crown... It's way weighs heavily now. It does, it does. I've got a lot to live up to, haven't I? So there we go. So look, Adam Adam Leach has gone for one all. Everyone remember that. Ben Stanfield has gone for two one West Brom. Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast, episode 10. Again, we find ourselves asking more questions about Saints than we seem to have answers for at the moment, but hopefully they can put things right against West Brom next week. Adam, as ever, thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Ben. It's been, uh, it's been really good again, and I look forward to next week. Adam and I hope to have a special guest with us next weekend to be able to talk about the upcoming Brighton game. So we're still working on that. I don't want to overcommit at this stage, but hopefully Adam and I will be joined by a very special guest to talk about that. In the meantime, as I say, thanks for listening to the podcast. It is much appreciated. You can follow us on the normal social media channels as ever. Any questions, any feedback, any comments, always welcome. So please do that. Otherwise, hope have a good week. At least we've got something from the Newcastle game. And please try your best to keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hold up. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.